Now let's get into the word. If you want to turn to Mark chapter 14, verses 66 through 72, that's page 852 in your pew Bible. Mark 14, 66 through 72. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came, and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you're a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. I think oftentimes when we look at testimonies, people are often wanting to highlight a lot of good stuff. And, and fortunately at our church, I, I don't think that's always the case. I think you often hear of people's brokenness. You often hear of uh, things that, that aren't so good and how God's continuing to use them and, and, and how... Uh, God does come through and he delivers us, but there's always this not yet aspect to it and there's this continual work that's happening and you don't have to feel like you've arrived and every person that has come up here uh, doesn't come up here saying like, I've arrived, Jesus has delivered me ultimately from everything. I don't think you're going to get that until you're on that other side of heaven. And um, so often we want to put this facade of the good stuff about us and all the, all the successes that we have and everything that's, that's good about us. And we do this whenever we uh, apply for jobs, don't we? You know, you, you put your resume out there and you don't say, uh, you know, yeah, I, I failed on four huge projects and I lost on the 10 largest sales and, you know, I'm, um, that's why I'm looking for a job. And, you know, you know... You don't put that stuff out there. You're like, oh, I'm, I'm so good. I, I, the top sales, whatever. And it was like two people in your sales team or whatever. And, you know, you, you do stuff like that. You try to fool people into believing who you aren't. And that's one of the bothers, the huge bothers I have with social media is that you're, you're just portraying this fake person. Like, you're, you're not that good. Like, you're not, you're not all that great in this huge track record of successes and all this kind of stuff. How, how did we get to our mountaintop experiences and successes? And, and where, where do you say that you grew the most and learned the most? Because that's kind of where we became the most useful to, to who we are today. And, and so today we're, we're going to take a look at Peter and we asked Nate to share his story so that this can kind of open your heart and your mind to this sort of thought. Um, that, that Peter was actually Jesus one of his closest friends and one of his dearest disciples and he was he was inside that inner circle and he got to witness things and experience things with Jesus that that the other followers didn't get the opportunity to to have now for those of you who are familiar with Peter when you think of Peter's most significant contributions to the Christian faith what do you tend to think of what, what do you think was Peter's defining moment? What do you think was his kind of his, his launching pad, his launching pad moment when he took off with his faith in Jesus Christ? What, what, was it when 
His mother-in-law fell ill with fever, and, and, and Jesus was there, and he witnessed Jesus heal her of this illness, and the fever went away uh, in Capernaum. And actually, I, I, might have, I might think that Peter was thinking, like, why did you heal my mother-in-law? Like, what? It was, it was fine, and she was just laying down. It was cool. I didn't have to do it. I'm kidding. Totally kidding. Totally kidding. My, my parents were just in town. I was just thinking, what, what is my wife thinking about all this stuff right now? Or maybe it was when Peter walked on water in the Sea of Galilee. Was that his launch pad moment? Was that his defining moment? Or was it when he was in Caesarea Philippi and he declared Jesus as the Christ because it was revealed by God the Father? Was, was that the time? Or maybe it was the Mount of Transfiguration when he's there. He's only one of three disciples that gets to witness Jesus having a powwow with Moses and Elijah right there. Again, think about when you learned the most, when you grew the most, when, when you became the most productive and useful person you are or you were. And more often than not, it's through, through failure. It's not those mountaintop experiences of like walking on water or transfiguration moments. It's not those things. And it, and it seems that this is for Peter as well because when we look at the transformed Peter that we find in the book of Acts, his transformation traces back to his failure. Peter began to sink in the water because he began to doubt and he had little faith. He was rebuked by Jesus right after he declared Jesus as the Christ. He, he wanted to build tents when he was at the Mount of Transfiguration for Moses, Elijah, and <clears throat> Jesus. And in our story, we see another big failure that's going to be here. And one that I think we can trace to where he became really, really useful to God. Now, here's something to take away for this new year. It's, it is a new year, and happy new year. I, I, was, I was contemplating whether to say happy new year or not, because it was like several days after, and I was confused. And, and I just, I don't, do I say it now, or do I not say it? And, and, and I celebrate the lunar new year also. So I was like, is this the real new year, or is that? And, and never, never mind. Here's something to just take away for the new year. Our usefulness is directly tied to our brokenness. Right? Our, our usefulness is directly tied to our brokenness. Brokenness is, is it's part of transformation. It's part of reformation. It's part of growth. And here's something to think about. Don't we get really, really suspicious of people um, if you ever ask them, so if you've ever done a job interview and one of the questions that's always asked is, what's your greatest weakness? Now, if you ask somebody that question and they said, nothing, I'm, I'm pretty good at everything that I do. Like, I just, I'm not really weak at anything. I'm not pretty, what would you think of that person? You, you'd think, I can't trust them or they're not self-aware or they're lying or something like that, right? You'd think that that, Anything you think, you'd think, that's a really bad answer. That's a bad answer. Brokenness is really useless, though, if you stay broken. But the brokenness is useful when it grows stronger from it, when you've learned something from it. And, and we need that brokenness. We need to be broken of our pride, of our arrogance, of our hard-heartedness. And we do a really huge disservice to people when we share with them that they are fully adequate just the way they are. You don't have to change a thing. There's a lot of these songs that my kids are listening to this to nowadays that are just like, 
all positive and like don't change a thing or whatever. Things have to change around you or something like that. And I'm just like, what? What do you mean you don't have to change? You always have to change. You always have to change. If you don't, then are, are you perfect? Is there no room for you to grow? You always have to grow. So there is an inadequacy, and that's okay. That's okay. It's Peter's failure, it's his brokenness that transformed him into a significant person of faith. But, but it's, it's difficult to embrace brokenness, isn't it? We don't want to look at ourselves and think, yeah, I'm, I'm a broken person, I just need, to, need somebody else to help me. We want to be self-sufficient. It's, it's partly why Peter rebuked Jesus is because we tend not to talk of brokenness in ourselves or we don't really like it in other people as well because it makes us feel uncomfortable when, when someone's just bawling and crying in front of you, sharing with your things, and you're just not sure what to say. Let me share with you Mark chapter 8, verse 31, starting in verse 31. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things. And be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes. And be killed. And after three days rise again. So you, you talk about brokenness. And this is making Peter and the disciples feel really uncomfortable. Because how can a Christ and Messiah suffer that sort of brokenness? And he said, it, said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Here's another picture of brokenness found in Mark chapter 14, starting in verse 27. And Jesus said to them, you will all fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. And rather than recognizing the brokenness and saying like, Jesus, really? Man, I'm sorry about that. I'm sorry I'm going to do that. Sometimes we're just so prideful and we fight against, fight against it. And just like Peter, the, the Apostle Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. Let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. See, pride's a killer. Arrogance is a killer. Hard-heartedness is a killer. Peter fought against that, and even when Jesus told him how Jesus himself would be broken and how Peter would be broken, but Peter didn't take Jesus at his word. Peter fought against that, and he would make himself not useful in the kingdom yet, unlike Jesus, who's, who's ready, who prayed to, to God, take this cup from me, or, or, and, and and he didn't, and he, he needed to embrace that brokenness and, and to take that on and not... His will, but God's will. And yet Peter didn't submit his will to God. And, and when he took his will into his own hands, you, we see how destructive his actions were, how destructive his behavior was. One example of this was when he was violent against the high priest's servant, Malchus. Right? They came as a mob to arrest Jesus, and, and Peter drew his sword. He cut off Malchus's ear and Jesus told Peter that he was to drink the cup that God the Father had given him, and Jesus was in tune with that brokenness, and Peter wasn't. He just wanted to go out swinging his sword and just try to kill people. And so with that as the backdrop, that's, that's the story that we're looking at here. 
in, in Peter's life. And so here, let's, let's start here at verse 66, Mark chapter 14. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. You know, we, we can get down on Peter for a lot of mistakes that he did, but let's think of the, the good stuff about Peter. He did walk on water. Like that's, that's pretty good. He, even though he failed afterwards, he still did get to do that. He still declared Jesus as the Christ, even though he got rebuked later, but he still kind of got that revelation. He was a witness at the transfiguration, even though he fumbled later. And so here's, here's the thing about this courtyard scene. He was there, right? Like, where are the other guys? So at, he was there, and at least he was there. Everyone else took off, and yet he's there. And even though he had all of these great moments, we will still notice that it was being broken that really transformed Peter into someone who was used powerfully by God. It was his, his failures that were, were the launching pad to his usefulness by God. And so he was given these three opportunities to recognize brokenness. But, but he kept fighting against it until what Jesus said happened. And we can all see how self-confident Peter was before, and we'll see that he can't stand up to this servant girl who most commentaries, commentators believe is, is kind of adolescent age, teenage age. And so he had all these great moments that took a while to build, and all of it can be crumbled within just a few seconds. We can look at Peter in the Gospel of Mark and, and, and think Mark might be just way too harsh on Peter, but we need to realize that one of Mark's primary sources in writing his gospel account was Peter himself. And so Peter was probably the one that gave him this story, this firsthand story to who Jesus is and the things that Jesus did. And Peter wanted this recorded for future followers of Jesus to let them know, hey man, I, I messed up big time. And just like Nathan kind of sharing his life story, just... Here it is, and this is how God is transforming me. This is how God is working in me and rebuilding me. So we do see how Peter changed, how he was transformed by God. He wanted his brokenness to be exposed for all of us to see, to read this today. And seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene Jesus. This, this term, looked at him, she looked at him, she, she knew who he was. Jesus from Nazareth made quite the impression in Jerusalem during these past several days, and, and, and she, being a servant of the high priest, probably heard about Jesus and his disciples because they were causing a lot of headache for her boss. So she probably heard these things and, and anything like recognized him, like, oh yeah, that's the guy that they were talking about. And she, she knew he looked different. She knew that he sounded different. It's, it's kind of like us Californians uh, who don't have a proper winter coat. Like, if we went to the East Coast nowadays, we'd be in a lot of trouble. Like, this is, like, the warmest thing I have. Like, you know, this, like... And, and we'd show up in Boston or Chicago or something, and, and we'd just stick out, because I do, because I, I bring my rainbow flip-flops wherever I go, and I'm wearing them out, like, wherever. And people are looking at my feet, like, what are you doing wearing these out here? I'm like, I'm, I'm from California. They're like, oh, okay. They just like, all right, they just give me a pass on that. But I know in their head they think I'm nuts, which I, I am. I just don't like things on my feet. Anyway, 
Peter stuck out by the way he looked, by the way he dressed, by the way he spoke, his accent. You know, accents give people away all the time. A person from Hawaii has a different accent from uh, someone in Minnesota, has something, a different accent from Boston. You know, our accents give us away. And it wasn't just those things, but people saw Peter around with Jesus, and, and, and they've been with each other for three years, verse 68. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. Now, that first crow should have been a warning. It should have been something that jarred his memory about, like, oh, man, Jesus said this. And that was like an opportunity for him to change, to to repent. It it should have gotten his attention. It should have given him this chance to to be different, but, but he stays for more. Now, why, why did he stay? This, this is the, an interesting question because he had a chance to leave. After that, you know, he could have left, right? But he doesn't. He sticks around. Was it that pride? Was it that arrogance? Was it that hard-heartedness that saying, like, you know what? He said that, but no, I'm going to stick it out. I'm going to be able to do this. I, I, I can get through this. And not being self-aware that what Jesus said is true even though he doesn't think it is. So maybe it's he's refusing to give in. And this was a chance for Peter to admit, Jesus, you're right. I'm not strong enough. I'm not. I, it's, you're right. But no, he, he stays. And maybe he thought if, you know, no, I messed up that first time. But, you know, if I'm given another chance, it's not going to happen again. I'm going to stand up. I'm not going to deny him. All of them will. But I won't. And so that first time, oh, you got me. Second time, I'm not going to. 69, verse 69 here, and the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, this man is one of them, and so here's the second denial, another chance to kind of fess up and, yeah, you're right, Jesus, but he doesn't, and the servant girl, she, you know, she turns the heat up a little bit here by, by talking to others around her and not just saying like, hey, you're with him, but he's saying like, hey, guys, this guy, he was with Jesus. And so other people are turning their heads, looking at Peter, and they're like, hey, yeah, you don't look like you belong here. And when you talk, you talk like a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And so Peter invokes a curse on himself. It's like when people say, you know, I I bet my life on it. Or, Or, you know, as God is my witness. And yet God is right there, and Jesus is there, and he's gotten this far to going into denying Jesus. And he was so convinced that he wouldn't deny Jesus just hours before. And here he's pulled this 180 of saying, I don't know him. I don't know him. I, I, I swear to God I don't know him. And what did Peter say in Mark chapter 14, verse 31? If I must die with you, I will not deny you. This is just a couple hours before. And it's really different from what really happened. Verse 72, and immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. A third denial. Now let's turn to Luke's account of this story because it gives us a little bit more description as to what was happening. Luke 22, starting in here in verse 61. 
Put yourself in, the, in your shoes here because this is just incredible. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. They made eye contact. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. Do you feel that sting? You know that promise that you made somebody and then you got to see them like, and you know that you, 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 you did them wrong. And you have to look them right in the eye and you did them wrong. It just stings a little bit more than Mark's gospel, doesn't it? I'm feeling Peter's hurt. I'm sensing his brokenness. And so when you look back to Mark and it says he broke down and wept, do you get it? Like, do you see the eyes of Christ? But here's the beautiful thing. This is not the end of Peter's story. It's not the end of your story. Peter's love for uh, Jesus doesn't end there, and Jesus' love for Peter doesn't end there. Jesus knows our weaknesses. He knows our hearts. He knows what we're capable and incapable of, and his love surpasses our failures. Look at what Jesus said to Peter right before he told them that Peter would deny him in Luke 22. Back in in Luke 22, um, go back several verses to verse 31. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. But it kind of did, didn't it? Just for that moment, though. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny me three times that you know me. And so Jesus knew where his failure would be. And he knew about Peter's denial, but he prayed for Peter's faith. And it's so encouraging that Jesus champions us. And that phrase in verse 32, and when you have turned, that's so beautiful. It's so hopeful. It's, it's admitting you're going to fail, so when you do, when you come back around, it, 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 it's God acknowledging, like, you're, you're going to mess up, I know, but when you, when you come out of that, and, and that failure isn't, it, it's momentary, it's not for the rest of your life, we, we, he's, he knows these things. When that brokenness is, is fixed up, when, uh, when, it, when it changes for you, it's not just for you. When you're fixed, when you're healed up, I want to use you for other people also. So Nathan's story is not just for Nathan. Hopefully it was to strengthen us, to, to raise us all up, to strengthen all of us and one for another. And Jesus knows each one of us so well. He knows our failures. He's not hoping, us, hoping for us to wallow in our and our failures, and, and when you have turned again, meaning you failed before, 
Strengthen your brothers. Heal, you know, get up, get patched up, dust off, get up, let go. Don't, don't stay beaten down. It's not just for your sake, but there are a lot of other people who, who need you to encourage them, to empower them, to lift them up, to, to inspire them, who can learn from you. Peter hurt Jesus, and he hurt him really deeply. But so have you and I. We've heard him. We've probably seen him eye to eye. And yet he still died in our place because he loves us so much. He, He is for us. He believes in you even when you don't believe in yourself or in Jesus, that he's our healer, he's our savior, and he's all about restoration. He's all about lifting you up out of that mud and check this out in Mark chapter 16. We'll, we'll, we'll get to this in several weeks and we'll get a sweet taste of Jesus' love and restoration here. This is when the women were at the tomb of Jesus and, and found out about Jesus' resurrection. Mark chapter 16, starting in verse 4. And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, <clears throat> rolled back. It, it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young woman sitting on the right side dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He was risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. So there's this angel speaking. It's a messenger. It's an angel. So it's a young man dressed in a white robe and did you catch, up, catch what he said? He, he specifically pointed out Peter, which means that messenger was given a message by somebody, God, to, hey, make sure you specifically call out Peter. And, and so when you tell him, I want you to specifically say Peter. Because Peter probably felt so far away from God. He probably felt like that, that uh, biggest loser. But God had this angel with a special delivery message just for Peter because Jesus loves him so much and has faith in him and will restore him. And maybe this is you. Maybe you think you feel there's no way, there's no way that God can love me. There's no way that he can forgive me. There's no way that he can restore me. And if that's you, and you believe this, I need to tell you, you are believing a lie, my friend. That is a lie. The Bible is full of people who have done things much worse than you, who have been restored by God and loved by God. It's chock full you don't believe me. I'm just going to point out one person. Some of you are probably thinking this in your head already. Look at King David. You know the Israeli flag with the white backdrop and that blue flag? That's the star of David. So this dude covets one of his officers' wives, the military officers' wives. He, he, he wants her, and so he commits adultery with her, and he gets her pregnant. Then he lies about things and, he, and he's 
trying to get this guy to come back from the battle line so that he can kind of frame him for getting her pregnant because then he came back and slept with her and, okay, I'm done. But he doesn't do that. He's an honorable guy. He doesn't want to sleep with his wife when all of his other soldiers out there don't get the same opportunity. So he doesn't do that. And, and he tries to get him drunk to do this, and he tries to do all this kind of stuff, and he doesn't. And so he sends him back out on the battlefield, and he comes up with a plan on how to go to the front line and then withdraw and then get Uriah killed so that then he can look noble and say, hey, I'm going to take this wife, uh, this guy's wife on my own. I'm going to look like a hero because, you know, she's a widow now and I'm going to rescue her from her destitution. And so here we have King David, who is this covetous adulterer, this lying murderer. And yet when we read about David, we read about David being a man after God's own heart. I, I don't think that's you. Covetous, adulterer, lying, murderer. Like, I don't think you've gone that far. Your needle has moved that far. If it has, you are a great criminal that you're just still innocent, like sitting in this room, like being able to be just like chill out here. It's incredible. You need a movie done about you. But Peter's story didn't end with his denial in Caiaphas's courtyard. Actually, Jesus pursued Peter. You take a look at, at John's gospel account in John chapter 21. Um, I don't have time to read all of that. But Peter's going out fishing. And some stranger guy goes on the shore because they're not catching any fish. And he just says, hey, dudes, you guys catch anything? And they're like, no, nothing. He's like, just throw it on the other side of the boat. Throw the net on the other side. And they're like, What's three feet of difference going to make from this side of the boat to that side of the boat to catch fish? And they, they do it anyway, and they catch this huge amount of fish, and Peter kind of recognizes it's Jesus, and he just gets off of the boat, and he goes. And then he's there, and Jesus is cooking breakfast for them, um, like lox and bagels. I don't know. It's fish, right? So it's, and so he's making breakfast on the beach there, and then here's the really cool thing. Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me? And that's what Jesus wanted to know, and he wanted Peter to love people in Jesus' name. And, and here's this beautiful thing. That's that threefold denial that Peter had in Caiaphas' courtyard, and here on the beach is this threefold affirmation. Like, I, I'm going to cancel that for you. That on that beach, Jesus was transforming Peter's brokenness into this purposeful vessel to carry out the gospel. And Peter's life was marked by what happened in that courtyard, but it didn't define who he is. It's the same thing for you. Those things that are happening to you, yes, they mark us, but they don't define who you are. You are a beloved child of God. That's your identity. And things mark you, but they don't define you. We can be broken, but God is the best at restoring things that are broken, to reforming things, to transforming things. Jesus rescued Peter and then commissioned him to strengthen his brothers. And Peter did that. You take a look at what Peter wrote 
This is, take a look at this transformation from gospel to Acts to him writing this letter in 1 Peter. I'm going to close with reading this and then we'll be done here. 1 Peter chapter 5, starting in verse 5. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Do you see the transformed person already? This is a totally different Peter. Peter then writes, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Compare that to that Mark Peter. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And you can sense that in that courtyard he's full of anxiety, but here he's writing this stuff now. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil... Prowls like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And so again, think about it. He was in the Garden of Eden. Was he watchful? Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. That wasn't Peter during his denial of Jesus. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. He's a much more spiritually mature person here. He, he lived this out, and that's why he could write about it. Peter was restored. He was confirmed. He was strengthened. He was established by and in Christ. And church history tells us that Peter, who was a martyr, died of crucifixion, and he asked to be crucified upside down. Jesus, who restored, confirmed, strengthened, and established Peter, is the same God who wants to do that for you. Same God. And for those of us who recognize our brokenness and our desire is for him to transform us into these beautifully strong vessels to carry out the good news of Jesus Christ to the world, not for just our sake, but to strengthen other people. Let's pray. God, we're thankful for the hope that you instill in each one of us that our story doesn't end here if we're in this place of failure. And we ask, God, that we would be able to recognize brokenness, that you indeed are powerful enough to use it to transform our lives and to make us useful, not just for our own health and restoration, but for others. And I pray, God, that our stories, because of your hand in our lives, would inspire, they would encourage, they would empower people to live in light, to not be hidden in darkness and by themselves, but coming into community and to expose the things that break us down. In Jesus' name, amen.